This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. This episode is sponsored by Apadana Fine Rugs. Home to rugs curated exclusively for the interior design community and discerning individuals. Few young designers have had as great an impact as Miles Red. By the time he founded his own firm in 1998, after working with Bunny Williams and John Roselli, he was already being acknowledged for bringing fresh energy to traditional decorating. He energized the field with his use of bright colors, gleaming lacquer, florals, and bold geometric patterns, not to mention his unpretentious approach and humor. Like a modern-day Dorothy Draper, he brought fun back to decorating and has influenced an entire generation of designers who have embraced what, before Miles, had been considered old hat or old lady, everything from painted floors and pelmets to tented ceilings and gilded mirrors. By the time his book, The Big Book of Chic, was published in 2012, Red had clearly become not just a designer, but a tastemaker, and his lines of fabrics, wall coverings, and rugs for Schumacher have been hugely successful, so much so that his iconic deconstructed stripe pattern has just been transformed into pajamas. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Miles Red. Hello, Miles. Michael, I'm going to cry at that introduction. Um, Don't th- <laughs> thank you. That, that was a, a lot. Um. <laughs> Your career has been a lot, Miles. So, Miles... One of the things I wanted to ask you about first is a lot of people, like including me, sort of see you as having emerged almost like Apollo from the head of Zeus, full blown. <laughs> from, the, from the head of Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I want to ask you about. Your early training, I know you went to NYU, but how did you really develop your aesthetic and how did you get started and develop your passion for the history of interior design? It really starts when I was a a small boy in Atlanta, Georgia. And um, my mother and I were both just like house crazy. And we had this thing where we would, if a house was being constructed, we'd just pull up. And this is in the, in the eighties when you could do such things, we just pull up and just walk through (laughs) as if we were, (laughs) and we just became, I mean, we were just always obsessed with like sort of floor plans and decorating and environment. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, and Philip Schetze, who's a sort of famous classical architect, had built a number of just like utterly fantasy houses that that I've really yet to see in any other location. Like there's mm-hmm. Atlanta's very special. That David way. Adler in Chicago, and but Philip Schetze built all these like sort of Italianate fantasies that where you feel like. It's not quite Italy because you're in Atlanta, Georgia, but there's just, it's a surreal fantasy. And I really credit those as sort of the things that spurred me on. And Atlanta had a lot of taste and a lot of style makers. And I was friends with Dottie Travis's kids. So I was going over to her house and these are sort of Atlanta decorators. Susan Wilcox, Mm -hmm. another big Atlanta decorator. And their influence just kind of rubbed off on me. And I feel like it was sort of Bunny, the laboratory of John Rosselli. 
And then just my own kind of what I was magnetized to, which was sort of Billy Baldwin's Cole Porter apartment in the Waldorf Astoria with the Coca-Cola brown walls that always I was like, why don't mm-hmm. we do lacquer? There's a number of sort of early Albert Hadley things, which were all sort of chinoiserie and mirrors. He was always just like in, in my head, Anthony Hale, like John Fowler, Dorothy Draper, Elsie DeWolf. I just became obsessed and any book I could get my hands on, I was reading and like when... Because I was going to say, you probably weren't studying design history at NYU. No, I wasn't. And it was like for Christmas, I would be like, I'd like <laughs> Elsie DeWolf's decorating book for Christmas. I mean, like, the writing was clearly on the wall. Um, <laughs> but it was just a passion. And uh, I didn't even recognize it because I was in at NYU for film school and yet obsessed with decorating, but thinking like, oh, it, it was sort of like a light bulb when I got to John Roselli. And I always tell people who are like trying to figure out what they do. I'm just like, do what you, the easiest, most natural thing in the world. And for me, it was decorating. That was great. It's always wonderful when you discover your passion early on. But one of the things I wanted to ask you about is that period in New York, the kind of traditional decorating that you love and the history of design was kind of out of fashion with a lot of designers. It was sort of that moment of, you know, Calvin Klein minimalism, high tech, industrial chic, Joe Durso. So did you feel at that time you were going against the tide or was it just something you didn't even notice what was going on? Well, I think that, yes, I, I, I am deeply aware that... I am going against the tide to some degree. Like, I feel like you cannot follow fashion or else you end up a cliche. And it is better to just follow your inner voice. And my favorite thing to do in decorating is to take sort of a sal's ear and turn it into a silk purse. And I think that there is so much great stuff that has come, but it's kind of wrapped in brown, what I think people call brown furniture or grandmother furniture. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the lines and the carving and the way it's made, which is a lot better than what we can do right. today. Yeah, I never understood why brown furniture went out of fashion myself, but you know. And you paint it or lacquer it or change it and it does become new. And that's my sort of favorite thing to do. Also, I think people have sort of caught on, but there was a period there where you could just get so much for nothing. And that mm-hmm. was... It was out of fashion, as you were that saying. Was, that was really fun to be like, oh, no, no, trust me, trust me, trust me. And um, I like old things. They they have a soul. Mm-hmm. And, and there is the added benefit of... There's a kind of greenness to it because you're not disposing of something and... It's a kind of, I guess, high form of recycling in a way, which someone pointed out Very to me. Very sustainable. Yeah, someone pointed out to me, actually. But I'm like, I embraced it. Yeah. Now, I, I'd love if you talk a little about your first clients, because here you were working at John Roselli, but you decided to go out on your own. You trained with Bunny. Who were the people who came to you who had the confidence to come to you and say, I want you? 
you know what, it was my friends and, and I'm grateful for them in the beginning because they really helped me get through the beginning period. And I've always said I answered every call, I returned every message, I'm always reachable via the telephone. And I just said yes to everything, big or small. And so like, you know, I'd have a friend. The first person who actually called me was a, a college chum of mine. His, his Oddly, his name is Chum. He's <laughs> such a great guy. Was a filmmaker, a successful filmmaker, and has, has kind of since gone into the art world. But it was his mom who was like, help Chum, he's gonna need your help. And so, that was sort of the first project. And then well, I just kept answering the phone and saying yes. And it just kind of snowballed and snowballed and snowballed to bigger and bigger projects. And 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 basically, you started on like doing Manhattan apartments, would you say, for the most part? Absolutely. Like it was Manhattan apartments. And then like, I think I did a little project in Atlanta. I was very lucky enough to purchase a townhouse with my sister, sort of around that time, which I did. And I sort of feel like that enabled me to really show my gestalt, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I felt like kind of launch me. Then like I got the job as the creative director of Oscar de la Renta Home. Right. And that was another springboard into a whole another like level of education and understanding. And uh, I mean, like any Oscar de la Renta room is an education. Right. And I wanted to ask you about that because I think you were there like six or seven years. Ten. You know? ten years. Ten. Oh, my God. Two, time flies. 2003 <laughs> to 2013. None of us could believe it. I know. Wow. That's amazing. I know. So what was it like? I mean, because obviously fashion is a big influence on interiors in general, but clearly working with Oscar de la Renta himself must have been quite the tutorial. I mean, you know what? It really is. And I, I think of him almost every day just because he always had this expression, if you rest, you rust. And he showed up to work every day and like took great joy and pleasure in designing and making collections and, and just creating beauty everywhere he went. And that really sits with me because like, I think all of us thought during the pandemic about throwing the towel in a little bit and, mm -hmm. you know, just like, oh, should I do? But I still have days. Right. And I, I mean, I do too, but you soldier on and then you circle back and you find the joy and the happiness again. But his, his eye for color and objects and quality was always just so inspiring, really. And I, I always think, W-W-O-D, <laughs> what would Oscar do? And I and I, I, I have to also say, like, it was also his wife, Annette, who was very much oh, yes. like, if Oscar was the fantasy, Annette was the sort of the rigor and the discipline and the like, no. And equally, both of them were sort of a team. And to see them battle it out and kind of come to a... I guess you came to some of the, the greatest rooms of the 20th century. So anyway. Yeah. I mean, Oscar's right up there in terms of, there are so many fashion designers who have iconic homes and certainly Oscar and Annette were, were, are, are, were I, among that group, you know, yeah. Saint Laurent, Givenchy, yes. I mean, we could go on and yes. on and on. Ralph Lauren, yes. Karl Lagerfeld. Yes. 
people are saying, oh, is there a connection between fashion and interiors? Obviously there is, but I would love to get a sense from you in terms of how you took what you learned at Oscar and put it into your own work. Obviously you loved antiques already before you started working with Oscar, but was there anything in particular you took from him? You know what? It's um, it's knowing when... I, the one thing that I really did take from Oscar is that the level of quality, knowing when you can do better and when you can be more refined and have something better. And I think in interior design, you see so many things, like, or at least I, I see so many things. And so often the instinct is to just be like, oh, I just want to get it done. That'll work. And mm-hmm. knowing when to be like, no, that's not good enough. And pushing yourself to either be patient and wait or like take another lap around the block till you find that perfect something. Do you know? Right. A, a, like a level of sort of perfectionism is, I think. Yeah, not settling. Yes, exactly. And always yeah. kind of refining and and changing. Like he was constantly taking things away and changing things and selling things and upgrading and refining all through his life. And it was never like it set perfect done. It was always this organic growing thing. The other thing I want to ask you about, well, there are several other things I want to ask you about, but one of them is how you managed, at least it seems to me for an outsider and my knowledge, that you managed to get a younger generation that had not traditionally been that interested in interiors get really excited about interior design. And this was long before Instagram, which I think has fed a huge appetite for interiors and all of that. But you managed to get young people not just young socialites, I think you had that crowd, and you have stayed so pertinent to younger designers. How do you think you hooked, there was something about you, Miles, that young people responded to. Do you know what that is? I mean, gosh, um, flattery will get you everywhere, Michael. <laughs> hey, I'm um, only stating the facts here. I, I, I'm not quite sure I have an answer for that. I just, mm-hmm. I just see what I see, and I do what I do, and I think it sort of maybe resonates with people. I always say you have to look back to look forward. And I think that one of the things I maybe did was sort of take the best of every great decorator from, say, 1930 to 1975. There's a little bit like, so if it's chinoiserie walls, it's a nod to Rose Cummings. If it's lacquer, it's actually a nod more to Billy Baldwin and Albert Hadley, although I know like mm-hmm. pelmets, like for me, those come from Wintertour and the DuPont, that DuPont house is filled mm-hmm. with pelmets. I always sort of think that's where that kind of inspiration came from. And then just taking all of these fractions and then putting them together in a way that is, I guess, miles red at the end of the day. And I think I just gleamed on to the things that people were excited about and not using anymore because so so many things had gone away, like so many glamorous things had gone away, like satin and painted furniture and all these things that, that were mainstays of the 30s. I think I just started using them and 
I think if you see someone use it, it gives you a kind of creative license to be like, oh, I can do that too. I think before there were a lot of rules saying, no, you can't do that. And now, like, I just, I think that that's kind of going away because it's pretty much you can do whatever you want if you, if you have a vision for it. For more than 40 years, Apadana Fine Rugs have been an essential resource for the interior design community and discerning shoppers. Apadana offers a beautiful curated collection, ranging from richly patterned ushaks to colorful Moroccan pieces and much, much more. To preview their exceptional inventory, visit Apadana Fine Rugs, that's spelled A-P-A-D-A-N-A, Apadana Fine Rugs, on Cherish Today. And now, back to our show. Like, clearly, you know design history like nobody's business. But there are other people who know design history as well and use historical elements. But you managed to blow all the dust off of this history and make it fun. And I think it had to do a lot with your personality. I mean, you know, not a lot of designers would pose in a top hat (laughs) when they're launching their fabric fabric line. You know, and I remember when, when your first line for Schumacher came out with the big push, rightfully so, from Schumacher. But you were very front and center. I do think there's something that I, you know, I said in the intro, I think you brought a lot of fun into it and made people think that this is something that is approachable and that I deserve to have, I can have. And was that a conscious thing for you? Not really. I think there was the conscious decision of, I always wanted to live in a Harper's Bazaar fashion still life shoot, if you will. I loved Mm -hmm. a kind of high glamour and, uh, you know, that's definitely in my inspiration and my, like what I love in terms of design and canon and it's all there. It's just comes out how it comes out, I suppose. (laughs) Comes out in the rooms, I guess. I don't know. Okay, I want to ask you about I want to ask you about your book. Okay. You know, the big book of she, yeah. which I believe came out in 2012. That's right. So, now clearly this book, many decorators do books and it generally they tend to be retrospectives of their work. Here's 12 projects I did that I love. Da, 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 da. This is the furthest from that. So, what was your inspiration behind the book and why did you go in such a different direction than the normal? Well, cuz decorating books don't sell. And I at the end of the day, <laughs> I'm a business person. I mean, I do think in terms of dollars and cents. And I do think in terms of, I always ask myself, do you want it? And if I don't want it, then I feel like it's back to the drawing board. If I want something, then I'm good to go. And I think that I had seen so many decorating books come out and beautiful, incredible decorating books. I like no disrespect to my peers because they are my brothers and my sisters mm-hmm. but i talked to many people and everybody said like oh you know you do the buy-in and you sell four thousand books if you're lucky you know and i was just like well i wanted to make something that didn't scream my name even though it ended up doing so <laughs> but like i remember no publisher wanted to do it Asseline was the only people that wanted to do it because they were like, well, you can pay for it and we'll sort of see. And I remember I was like, I I just want the title to say The Big Book of Chic and that's it. 
And Oscar, I remember saying, like, what do you think? And he's like, I put your name on it. I'm like, I'll put my name on the spine, but I'm not going to put my name on it. Because I'm like, it becomes, a book becomes this object, this thing. And like, that's a fun thing to have on a coffee table. The big book of sheep, people look at it and they're like, what the hell is that? It's like, like the book of sex, things like that. Like people like, they're like, I'm curious about that. Irresistible. It, I think because of the title and because I didn't promote myself, I think it did really well. I think it's the title that sells the book. And I think that's what what's the driving force. And it was intentional. And knock on wood, I think we sold like 75,000 copies. Yeah, I think it's yeah. one of the best selling designer books yeah. ever, you know, which is terrific. <laughs> and it was interesting to me, you know, I mean, and congratulations on that. But it was interesting to me because it really was about your aesthetic as opposed to your project. Yes, absolutely. I do think at the end of it all, people are like, you don't see anything. And I was like, yeah, this is a book about the fantasy of things that capture my imagination. And I realized the criticism is like, this isn't a decorating book. This is a disappointment. I'm like, well, sorry to you, dear reader. Um, (laughs) But I think... You can recommend some decorating books if they want. I will, I think, at the very end of my career, maybe go back and do one whole canon of a real decorating book and talk about the stories and really show the rooms. This was a lot of details and clips and fantasies it's more meant to be mood and evocative and it was sort of like the instagram book before instagram happened well exactly i was gonna say that's why i mentioned before you did all of this pre-instagram and instagram makes it faster and easier and now everybody can do that but you really went against the tide with that book and you put your yourself out there as a sort of a a thinker and a and a seer and how you saw the world and wanted to see the world. And that was really very brave at the time. And I could see why conventional publishers were very wary of it, much to their regret uh, today. But again, it's like my point about bringing personality and fun into decorating. And that's, I think the book sort of cemented that for you. Well, thank you. I think, of course, Schumacher, very smartly, you know, Dara's oh, brilliant. She really is. She, Dara Caponegro, for those of you who don't know. know. The one, the only, the fabulous. Yes, and she recognized that aspect of you, and she actually brought that same kind of energy to your collection. Now, what was it like to work on the collection and come up with your first group of patterns and the fabrics? How did that work? It is so much fun. I can't even tell you how much I love it. Well, one, getting to work with Dara, who is like the Mm -hmm. ultimate editor, and like faster than the speed of light. I just, the Schumacher team and what they have done, like they revolutionized the fabric industry. Like you would go in the D&D building and like those showrooms felt sort of sad and like they just keep churning it out and keep getting it more exciting and more interesting content and material. And it's really been one of the most fun things that I've done. And actually, we've got another big launch of fabrics that are coming out, like, in the spring. And I'm super excited about it. Yeah, I'm super excited. It's like round two. And it's just great because they took some risks. I think, you know, we, we thought about chinoiserie rooms that was one of the things that i was like i want to bring that to the masses because they are so expensive and not everybody can afford them i would love to make something that is affordable i do believe 
beauty is for everyone and design is for everyone and that it doesn't have to be this rarefied thing that only rich people get to enjoy. I'm very communist that way. <laughs> but I love old-fashioned sort of block print chintzes, and we were able to do those and like update that feeling. I love like stripes and graphic patterns. And as you said, the deconstructed stripe is now on pajamas, which I think are adorable. Mm-hmm. It was just a dream come true and like so much fun to suddenly then have this, well, the fabrics to be able to decorate with, which is another just super fun thing to do, you know? Right. And when you're designing your new collection for Schumacher, what were you looking at besides Chinoiserie? I know you said that in the bishop. Were there other periods of history that you've been looking at of late or thinking about or incorporating into your oh, own? Oh, yes. I mean, like I, you, I always look at things as kind of a, like a, almost individualistically, if you will, and I can jump all around, there will be like a decorative finish that I love, which I think like, why not make that a wallpaper? Or I'll find an old document of a faded chintz from like a house in Maine in 1930. And I think like, now we need to bring that back. That's cooked long enough. There's a Coromandel screen that I've had in my living room for years, which we're turning into like a wallpaper. Just various things that it's a screen, but then it becomes a paper. And so you shift it and change it. Mm-hmm. But there's always a point of departure or something that I, I love. Like there's a painting by Sergeant Lily Lily Rose. Oh, I love that uh, painting. Me too. And so I did a fabric inspired from the lilies. No one's ever going to see it, but it's like the idea of the, the lilies brought from the painting is for me just something I've always loved. And uh, the world is your oyster. Just look around. Fantastic. And where are you looking particularly now? Do you go to museums regularly, books, movies, fashion? Always for me, the movies. You know, I'm I'm a, mm-hmm. a big cinephile. You were a film I student. Was, as a film student, I'm a big cinephile. But the things that I love the most really are the auction houses. I find, one, you usually get to see someone's whole collection of something. So you get to sort of get a sense of what they were curious about, what they were interested in, and how they put things together. Mm-hmm. You also get the information the auction houses like know so deeply about with it, not all the time, but a, l- a lot of the time, mm-hmm. you get a lot of information, so you get to learn. And then there's the opportunity to buy it, <laughs> which I... <laughs> which, <laughs> which always <laughs> added a little fill-up of interest. Exactly. There. One of the things I wanted to ask you about was your fairly recent partnership with David Kaihai. Well, so David and I had worked together for 12 years, and he was like the right arm in this business, if not the left arm as well. And I always think like David has the best taste and the most beautiful manners and the most wonderful way about him. And he really is the yin to my yang. If I'm florals and lacquers and mirrored rooms. He is a crisp white shirt, a perfect pair of khakis, a parchment box. It's just a nice foil. And also, you know, as you get older, it's it's nice to share the mantle with somebody. And right. for me, the thing that I really enjoy a lot in decorating are the kids in my office that are passionate. There's so much talent and like sort of pushing them along and Mm -hmm. 
anyway, David is a great mentor as well. And just having a partner really makes navigating the world a little bit easier. So it's kind of like Parrish Hadley with you. I, I would say so. I would say so with me being yeah. sister and, and David being Albert, for sure. Right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Well, that was a great combination. I will own that. I will own that. (laughs) (laughs) That combination worked really well for a really long time. So that bodes well for your future. Thank you. I know you did like a very successful line of outdoor furniture for Ballard. Are there any other projects that you are thinking about or have in the works? Because I think it's such an important point what you brought up about making good design accessible at a lot of different price points. So funny that you should ask. Definitely there's a another line for Schumacher that's coming out. And then the other thing I was going to say is the Lacquer Company, which is a British company, but really does make what I think is well-priced. It's not inexpensive, but it's not mm-hmm. expensive. And it's yeah, they do beautiful pieces. beautifully made. I have a collection with them and was just on the phone this morning with them working on the second collection, which should come out probably be another year before it comes out, but we're just in preliminary stages, but it's always so fun to make new things. Terrific. And how have you fared during the pandemic? Many, many designers I've talked to have said they've been incredibly busy. Has that been the case with you guys, you and David? We have been super busy and I count my blessings for that because it really has helped me get through the pandemic, having something to focus on besides all of the sadness that's happening in our world. But we have been working a lot and leave for an installation on Sunday, actually. So just keep on going. That's fantastic. Have you noticed over the past two years any difference in what your clients are looking for in their homes? Are they... Many people say that people are more obsessed with their homes now. They're spending more time there. They need home offices. They need places for the kids to do their work. I think, you know what, it's more about just like we want everything super comfortable. Like there's a a real direction towards like comfort, carpet, upholstery, barefoot, like slouchy TV, relaxation, or kind of kitchen expansive hang out. Mm -hmm. But it's great. The times demand the needs, and these are the times we are in. What kind of color palettes have you been thinking about of late, Miles? Because be careful what you say, because it's going to influence hundreds of people. Um. (laughs) God, you know, it's funny. Design on a dime, which I know you know very well, Michael Boudreaux, because you were a great champion of design on a dime. Mm -hmm. Um, I signed up for my room yesterday, and I always think of it as like a little laboratory of where I want to just test a new idea, if you will. And for some reason, there's a book by Roberto Capuccio. He was a fashion designer in the 60s. Oh, yeah, he was in Rome, wasn't he? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And he used this kind of shocking pink and daffodil yellow color (laughs) together kind of combination. And I like I'm You're like, going there, Miles. I'm going there. I'm going there. I think it might be a little ahead of the time, but I feel like not for design on a dime. So I'm gonna that Yeah, I'm, design yeah. on a dime is such a fun oh. you know, if you can't do it there, where are you gonna totally. do it? You know? Totally. And the audience is totally open. That's interesting. Yeah. Shocking pink and daffodil yellow. I'm gonna <laughs> Well, God knows we all need to think about spring. So you've got spring encapsulate. We'll right see there, if it know? if it happens. I like we're at the incubation stage, so mm-hmm. I, I might have a shift here and there. Right. 
Right. But it's interesting that you said you look to movies, but you look to fashion, you look to art. I think it's what's so interesting to me that you you're out there looking, looking, not just to not just to the traditional past of design past, but fashion, all that stuff. Movies. Didn't Diana Vreeland say the eye must travel? Isn't that it? Like yes, the eye has to travel. You have to right? like go out and see stuff to to really know it. You know, mm-hmm. and I think to a degree, Instagram is amazing because it is a window into seeing so much stuff, but there's nothing like the real thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's been what's frustrating for people is not to be able to go to showrooms, museums. You know, that has changed, thank God. Things are opening up. But I think design is such a textural world. I always am stroking things in showrooms and even in the sheet department, you know, feeling the towels, feeling the sheets. It's like, I think that that's such a crucial part of design. And when that's kind of curtailed or made more difficult, it's it's very hard. I know people order a lot of things online without touching them, sitting on them. You know, I'm of a generation that it's harder for me to encompass, you know? I'm of that same generation. And I think so much about why people respond to design is that it is sensorious. It's not only just your your eyes and your sense of touch and the way something smells and the way something feels. It is all those things. That's why decorating is booming. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Because right. like it's kind of all we got. Right. So I do agree that the digital world, you do extract something from that. Like you extract some of the senses and that can can be difficult. Yeah. But it's been interesting to me, as, and I think this uh, the pandemic has highlighted this. It used to be that the role of the decorator, and I've said this before on other podcasts, but I'll, I'm sticking to my guns, that the role of the decorator was to instruct the clients how to live, not just create a home for them, but give them information and permission to live well in their homes. And I think that... In a funny way, you sort of resuscitated that. And you said, yes, you may have a small Manhattan apartment or you may have a grand house, but whatever you have, you want it to be beautiful and you want to have fun in it. You want to live in it and use it. And that's one of the things that's always impressed me about your work is you really guide people towards living a big life. Oh, God, I know, I think that's true, though. I mean, wouldn't you agree? Don't people come to you and... Because I think they're attracted by your joie de vivre? I mean, I'm going to say I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's true. I think it's true, Miles. I do. Thank you. And I think that that's one of the great things that you can see things on Instagram and you can get ideas, certainly from the web and Instagram and all of that and do all that kind of research. But I think that the idea of how to live and how to put things together, that's what designers really bring that no one else can. And you have done that. I think it really inspired at least two generations of clients and designers. I mean, gosh, well, who was it? I think it was Truman Capote that said, whenever I'm depressed, I hire a housekeeper because then I feel taken care of. And <laughs> I never heard that quote. That's so I, good. I get out of bed and like, someone's done the dishes and done the laundry. And she's like, if you're down and out, the first thing you must do is hire a housekeeper. And I always think of that. I was like, that is actually some sound advice, you know, like self-care, because that's a form of it. Totally. I do think I perpetuate that is a kind of self-care and that 
this is what it's going to take to self-care in this house. And I do give pointers in that direction, I hope. Yeah, I think that's so great. (laughs) Well, I can't thank you enough, Miles. This has been so much fun and so informative. And I just know your new collection for Schumacher is going to be great. And I really look forward to seeing all your projects always. And Mm -hmm. I really appreciate your taking the time to talk to everyone here at the Cherish Podcast. Thank thank you, you Michael. Thank you. Thank you. It's a delight to be here with you, especially, and with the Cherish gang. You've been listening to the Cherish Podcast, brought to you, of course, by Cherish, which was recently voted by the readers of USA Today as the best place to shop online for furniture and home decor. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague. Or better yet, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word. And we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherish Podcast is produced by Britta Muller and engineered by Hangar Studios in New York. Until next time. Music.